This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there listeners, Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking about the job market. More specifically, we're talking about untapped career opportunities in technical sales and other relationship management types of roles. In my humble opinion, nothing is more satisfying than having the freedom to take control of your own career and decide your own destiny. And it's my own experience that aside from owning your own business, a career in sales is about as close as a person can come to that. From being able to set your own schedule, to working independently, to traveling to visit customers in new and interesting cities, you are responsible for you and your own success. And to some extent, you get to determine the size of your overall paycheck as well. With that said, you must also be disciplined with how you spend your time and capable of motivating yourself in order to be successful. A successful career in sales may not always be easy. There will certainly be peaks and valleys along the way. Some months are better than others, and you must somehow get comfortable hearing the word no again and again and again. In the world of technology especially, there are certainly some who have managed to amass small fortunes by mastering the craft of technical sales and getting comfortable with that word. Yet, it is not a role that is often celebrated within corporations, whether early stage startup or publicly traded. And while I happen to know what these roles represent, not only a way into the tech community, but a means to earn a good living, I am by no means an expert on what it takes to land one of these opportunities, nor what it takes to determine whether you would be a good fit or not. So I decided to call up someone I know who knows a good deal about this area. Ryan Jones is an enterprise sales director for Microsoft, where he leads a team of account managers to deliver the full suite of Microsoft's hardware and software applications to their end clients and serve as the primary points of contact for those customers who rely on Microsoft's network. So with that brief introduction, welcome Ryan Jones to the Tech Money Podcast, sir. Thank you, Malcolm. Honored to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you agreeing to do this, man. So I breezed through your resume pretty quickly in my intro. What should I have included there? Um, you know, Malcolm, I started in this industry really without an idea of kind of where I was going. Um, I was one of these people that graduated from undergrad right at the time of Enron collapsing and WorldCom kind of going down. And so 
I was competing for a lot of these entry level sales roles mm-hmm. with individuals who had been professionals in their field 10, 15, 20 plus years. And so um, a stroke of luck, a lot of hard work uh, and the power of networking are really what kind of propelled my career and uh, got me in a position where I was able to get into an organization, quickly identify a path to rise within that organization, use that organization to benefit my own professional and personal goals. And then I think something that you know we're not often taught about is, is how to successfully navigate within these organizations and then make the jump when it's the right mm-hmm. time and jump over into a, a different organization, different industry, and kind of build up that experience. And so you know my, my career at this point has really been the summation of a lot of different experiences, a lot of great mentors, and the power of networking. So you just took us back, unfortunately for myself, to a, a deep, dark place I never wanted to venture again, which is graduating from college with a, a bachelor's degree in 2009 into the carnage that was the financial crisis. Uh, and and you actually reminded me uh, of the fact that there were so many people who were gradu- graduating with their bachelor's degree and literally applying for jobs and competing with people for a gig as a barista at Starbucks with somebody who had 10 years experience and a PhD, right? And like, that was like such a whirlwind of a time at, at the moment that we were at. Strangely enough, your, your story is not dissimilar to mine uh, in the sense that when I graduated from college, I already had a, uh, a job working in auto sales. And so I just like went into my my manager after I graduated and said, you know, I want to go into management, um, you know, at this point. So I spent four and a half years in uh, sales myself, actually, in college and immediately after. So uh, not unfamiliar with the 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 moment where it was like, well, this is this is something I can do. This is my way in and and I'm going to take it. But uh, not to to derail us too much. Um, So to get us kicked off here, one of the main reasons that I wanted to have this conversation with you is. That as a person who hosts a podcast about money and technology, people often, you know, assume that that means I actually know something about money and technology. And one of the questions we get in the inbox quite a bit is something along the lines of I'm a person working in XYZ field. I have no experience in tech, but I want to work in tech because I've seen and heard all of the good things it has done for friends of mine who work in tech. And what advice can you give me for how to break in? And sort of pairing with what I just revealed about myself and, you know, my own uh, journey before finding my way into financial services. One of my frequent recommendations is consider technical sales simply because from what I understand, the barrier to entry is not necessarily a bachelor's degree in engineering or computer science. It's, you know, something else. And so uh, I guess all of that to say that long build up to, to ask, can you just say a little bit about the typical minimum requirements for the entry level technical sales role? And then can you also talk about what the resume might look like for an average person coming into uh, an entry level role? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it varies on the type of technology that's being sold. I think hmm. that there's an opportunity in the current times that you and I didn't have the benefit of when we came mm-hmm. out, right? And that's a that's a specialization of technology. It's a hyper-personalized industry at this point. And so I think that the, the previous model was that a company would have some sort of a technical solution. You mm-hmm. needed to come in, you needed to learn that solution inside and out. Uh, and then you needed to pitch it to existing clients. And if you had a Rolodex or 
now we're really dating ourselves, where if you had contact <laughs> list, right, of people uh, within a specific industry, then that was a competitive advantage that sure. you may have. I think in an effort to to make things hyper-personalized now, um, there's opportunities for people who are in different industries to come into technical sales roles where those technical sales jobs are calling on those specific industries. Mm-hmm. Case in point, I spent 15 years at Verizon, uh, mm-hmm. which wound up morphing into uh, a national and federal telecommunications uh, sales experience. Um, you know, there were some opportunities to learn the wireless data side, the networking side of it. When I had a conversation with an executive at Microsoft, I was initially brought in to manage those type of customers, to manage both national customers that were heavy in the telecom space. And then I had kind of carved a niche for myself as a defense contractor guy. And I was brought in because I had the relationships with those customers. I understood that customer segment. And the thinking was that I could learn the technology along the road. I get that question as well from a lot of mm-hmm, people who are mm-hmm. looking to get into Microsoft, for example. And the, the guidance is always to, to find your niche, find a role where you do have a competitive advantage over someone else. It's either calling on a specific type of customer. It's either selling the type of technology that you've already used. And if you don't have either of those, then you really have to leverage the power of your network. There are so many resumes that are filtered through from a human resources perspective. And I think that people sometimes get discouraged or they think that they need to accumulate a pile of certifications in order to seriously be considered. Oftentimes, that's not the case. It helps Hmm. tremendously if you can just get to the actual hiring manager or get to the ecosystem of employees that are around that particular opportunity and then have the opportunity for them to get to know you, your work ethic and kind of your unique value proposition that you bring to the position. And I would totally recommend that as a path of trying to break into the industry rather than potentially spending a lot of money and time on accumulating certifications that quite honestly you may not need depending mm-hmm. on the uh, the company or the technology that you're trying to sell let me ask you something in relation to that uh that you just laid out that your recommendation is more to focus on strengthening your network and tapping into your network than it is to rack up additional certifications to make yourself stand out so that, you know, if I do a control F on a resume search, you know, I bring 10 people to the top and you're one of them, right? Uh, let's say that I'm, I'm working in that sales role for two, three years, that entry level sales role that got me to the party, right? Do you then recommend that I, uh, if I want to transition, transition into something else internally, right? Do you recommend then that I rack up special skills or courses or any of those sorts of things or, or, or still at that point, do you see it as not a necessity? I think you build towards it. I think it's a continuous learning progress. I, I don't think that there's anyone out here um, who could lay claim to owning perfect knowledge across the entire technology stack. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe that the tech industry, it moves super quick. So that two year time period that you spoke to, that's almost too late, right? You almost, I mean, almost mm-hmm. every year, you can kind of reinvent yourself in tech. They say the technology usually doubles every 18 months. I think that stat's mm-hmm. probably sped up in this time. So I do think there's an opportunity for people to reinvent themselves in that portion. If you were for say, uh, let's say for example, you were to come into a role and you were looking to use technical sales to get into the company and then looking to transfer into a architect role or a program manager role or a product manager role or a technical engineering role 
within the next two years. I think that you're still leveraging the power of your network. So you're still looking for opportunities within that sales role to engage with that department, which gives you the opportunity to learn more, to be seen as a value add, to be seen as a partner for them. I think what a lot of people underestimate is that the technical salespeople need the product leadership, the engineering people, because they're actually creating the products that we are then putting our names and our reputations on the line in order for customers to invest in. Similarly, those technical resources need the feedback of the salespeople, of the customer, so that they can continue to evolve those products and hyper-personalize those products so that the consumer or the company is investing in that product versus the competition. So there's a symbiotic relationship there that a lot of people don't tap into. And I think that myself, for example, I had no intentions of creating a sales career. I got Mm -hmm. into Verizon. I wanted to work on the cellular towers, right? That was my goal as a 22-year-old. I wanted to be a cell-based technician. I had a degree in networking and data communication. That's kind of where it fit. What happens to a lot of people is that you get into these industries, you're interested in the tech, you're a student of the industry. That then correlates to how well you do your sales role. Your customers get excited about the tech because you're excited about the technology. And then you start to see the income come in. Yeah. And I'll be honest, after two years in sales, IT couldn't afford me. I had no (laughs) intentions of going over to the IT side of the house because I saw the income potential that I had as a salesperson. And I just enjoyed working with people, building things, um, you know, making things happen. Uh, And so that's really kind of where things took off for me. So we'll 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 work our way up to the money in a second, because that's obviously a key component of of this conversation and the conversation. Anytime you talk to somebody about a sales related role. But one thing I want to go back to uh, was the sense that from what I got from from what you were saying, and I'm, I'm sort of putting words in your mouth and you can tell me whether I'm I'm right or wrong in saying it. But uh, I'm getting the sense that one uh, thing that I should keep in mind if I'm a person who's trying to transition into tech, I've taken this uh, entry level role, whether it was a step back for me or a lateral move or maybe even a step up. I, I said, this is going to be my way into Microsoft because Microsoft is my dream company as an example. Right. And then I get in and I, I start to take additional courses to level up and make sure that I actually understand the technology, because as you just pointed out, the innovation curve moves extremely fast. Right. And so I'm constantly taking courses to make sure that I'm learning and I'm sharpening my tool set. But then it also sounds like what I'm getting from you is I need to also be networking just as much internally with the product people and the engineers creating the tech that I'm out there uh, uh, representing uh, to make sure that I have the best relationships both internally and then also obviously externally with the the end clients and that sort of thing. Is that is that a fair synopsis of what you're saying there? A- absolutely. Absolutely. There's a relationship there where they need your feedback. Mm-hmm. There are oftentimes times where you'll need their expertise and there is a opportunity to partner together. You're already in. So I think that's part you, you've kind of crossed over the hardest part, right? You're already mm-hmm. in. You're already an employee. The customer's learning journey, the customer's digital transformation, that's what dictates the learning journey of a good salesperson, particularly at a company where at Microsoft, where there are so many different things. One of the mistakes that I made coming into Microsoft, I wasted 90 days trying to learn everything I could about the Microsoft ecosystem, which is virtually impossible. When I stopped that and I put the focus on what my client base was interested in, that then led my learning journey. 
which then led me into different niche pockets of Microsoft, where I was able to establish relationships with some of the technical leaders. I think in all of these companies, what people are striving for is to get to a position where you're getting the proverbial tap on the shoulder versus mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. to apply. And hopefully they pick my resume out of the hundreds or other thousands of resumes yeah. that are applying. But if you're already in, you have the opportunity to not only network and socialize with the people that are making those hiring decisions, that are doing that technical resource, but there's also an opportunity to help them succeed in their job and to help them look good. And I think that building that goodwill up is an excellent way to build and leverage that network and accelerate your path into the technical role that you're really looking to get to. So uh, on a somewhat related note, you, you, you mentioned something else that I want to highlight here. And what I find interesting about your background personally, uh, as well as that you have a, a, a degree in computer science and then an MBA. And then you're also a Six Sigma Greenbelt, right? All of the resume builders for a lucrative career in tech, right? Yet uh, you chose to go the sales route. And I don't at all mean that as a put down, but I, I know you've likely encountered classmates over the years or whoever who sort of thumb their noses at that dirty word sales, right? So what uh, what attracted you to, to stay there uh, in those sorts of roles? And you may have already kind of tipped the scales by uh, one of your previous answers, but aside from the money, so what sort of attracted you to say, yes, all those, you know, things, those resume builders that could tempt me to try and go somewhere else and do something different, maybe even the job I thought I was going to do coming out of undergrad. Uh, what, you know, attracted you to say, I'm going to, I'm going to stick it out here. This is where I belong. You know, I think that even as a young kid, I had the idea that there are two types of people in the world. There was people that bought things and there's people that sold things. And only one of those people made money. <laughs> and so my objective was always to be on the side that was continuing to make money. You know, I was a, a former college athlete. Um, I, again, mm -hmm. I mentioned the scenario in the economy when I came out into the market and I fell into a sales role, if you will. When I saw the opportunity to get in front of business clients and conduct corporate business and the deal started getting larger and now you're having a larger impact. There were often times when I would run into people that I had gone to undergrad with or, or even graduate school at some points where I would come into a firm and they may work there and they may have a lofty title and they may have a comfortable income there, but I'm usually coming in to speak to their boss, right? I'm coming in to mm. speak to a C-level executive. There's just a different caliber of commerce that I was engaged mm -hmm. in because it was a sales role. The MBA was partially because my parents would not stop talking about it, right? I was out of school <laughs> for, I think, three years, and I was always looking for a company who was going to kind of reinvest back into me. And so that was the objective. I finished the MBA. I thought about law school for maybe 30 days, and I decided I didn't want to do that to myself. Um, I know a lot of people who have gone into law and then come back into a sales degree because that added knowledge of contract law and hmm. having to eliminate some of the legal implications or requirements or having an additional party in the sense um, has led them to accelerate very quickly and to climb the corporate ladder in their degrees. But I was always taught to kind of stay close to the money, where the money's flowing, how the money is coming into a company. No matter what company you have out there, there's some element of sales that comes along with it. And so I stayed in it mainly, as we've mentioned, because of the income, but also because I really just enjoyed 
networking, building that network, leveraging that network. That's just kind of my my personality, if you will. And so it was an excellent fit for me. And so there have been opportunities. And in my career, I, I've taken operational roles. I've taken leadership roles. I've done things that don't traditionally fit in sales and are more maybe business program or business strategy oriented. And mm-hmm. while I performed at the jobs, I just didn't have that same passion that I had for the sales arena, the competition of it, the thrill of the hunt, if you yeah. will, the opportunity to work with these companies to to build a solution or to optimize a solution, and then to look back at it years later and say like, hey, I did that. And as I'm reaching this, let's say midway point in the career, it's nice to look back over the last 20 years and see programs and solutions that you've done that are still standing um, and that companies are still taking advantage of and still following your guidance. And, and it definitely doesn't hurt as you're networking and looking to connect other people within your network and kind of continue building things up within the community that you have this goodwill and these good relationships spread out amongst so many different companies in the area or industry. See what I, I knew you wouldn't say as an answer to my question. And I asked it anyway, cause I hoped you would break from your media training and say it anyway, <laughs> was that of the fortune 100, especially in the NASDAQ, no one ever makes it to CEO without having a sales role. And so I was hoping that somewhere in there, you'd break from it and say, you know, uh, it could be, who knows? Like, I, um, and I, I say that mostly in jest. Uh, but I have noticed that uh, as I look at the ranks of of uh, all the folks uh, who lead tech related firms in the Fortune 100, almost exclusively they have done a stint on the sales side of the house, uh, because otherwise, how do you understand uh, how to talk to your your uh, end, u- end users about the products that you're you know ultimately creating for their use? It's exactly right. You have to grow, right? The point of the company is to make money. And the only way to make money is to sell a product or service that someone's going to pay for and buy. And one thing about salespeople, we read people all day long. That's what we do is we read people, we react to people, we adjust our tone, we adjust our pitch based on the value systems, the personalities, the preferences of someone. So to have an executive leader who's never actually sold the product, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much buy-in you know you would get from a major arm of of your corporation and a major part of your company's success and i think that we've seen that in certain industries where there's a no confidence in the leader because of a failed efficiency and the whole thing just collapses so i'll take that as my segue to to talk money uh, a little bit more right i i said initially i was going to come back to it and obviously when you talk to people who are in sales or you talk to people who have ever worked in sales the money is obviously one of the motivators right for folks who love to compete love competition like you mentioned especially former athletes you love the opportunity to uh keep score uh as one of my uh my uh former directors used to say uh winners keep score um and so I've learned that folks who are in sales related roles, one of the reasons that you love to do it and you get up every day uh, to, to do the job is not so much payday itself necessarily. Obviously, that helps, but it's getting to benchmark yourself against the other folks that you are. Uh, that you, you work with and, and work for other companies and all those uh, sorts of things. One of the things that attracts many people to tech is the income potential, right? As you were, you were talking about, 
would you say that's the primary driver for technical sales teams or am I oversimplifying that? So I, I hesitate to speak for the whole industry, but I would say course, that yeah. 99% of the people that I have encountered in a technical sales role are there for the uh, the income potential. There, there are folks out there who just have a real passion for the technology. You know, there are people who do it for a greater purpose. There are people who are looking to get the experience to then launch their own company or their own partner organization. But 99% of the people that I've encountered, they're there for the money and, mm-hmm. and, and not necessarily always the, the salary, although we do like a competitive salary, but it's mm-hmm. oftentimes comes in the form of the bonuses or the commissions or the additional perks that come along. So uh, I'll come back to that in two seconds. But interestingly enough, one of the things that you said previously about the uh, tech team not being able to afford you after after you spent a couple of years in on the sales side, uh, Mm -hmm. I actually in preparation for this was curious. And so I went to the Google and was just looking to see. uh, Sorry, I should have said I went to Bing uh, since I have you on here. (laughs) I I went and looked up just what a. sales rep gets paid at a Microsoft and it actually showed me that it's the number five highest paying role inside of the organization. I'm not going to ask you to necessarily confirm or deny the the rumor that is the internet, but does that at least sound within the realm of reality from where you sit? Well, I need to look that stat up because I want to see what the other four are, but I'll tell you that there's always an emphasis on, on selling the product. Mm-hmm. Microsoft is at its core a product company. And so there's probably a school of thought within senior leadership that the product itself is what drives the company, what drives the sales. There's always going to be a human element in order to connecting with people and kind of helping that value proposition be clarified. So I would not be surprised to hear that sales roles are within the top five. And I would, in an age where every company really is becoming a technology company because of just the the power of the internet, what it can do and adjusting to a pandemic world where everyone is remote to an extent. I can't really think of an industry where your salespeople, the ones who are bringing the business in, are not going to be among your most highly compensated employees. Yeah, fair enough. So back to the point that you were you were initially making, and I won't ask you to tell us specifically how your sales team is paid. Right. But can you give us a sense of how comp is broken down for technical sales folks? You know, is it all commission, all salary, monthly bonus, annual bonus, uh, those sorts of breakdowns? Yeah, sure. And again, it varies by industry and by company. Typically, mm-hmm. you'll have uh, some sort of a base salary, depending on the company, depending on the technology. That base salary could be very high. That base salary could be sort of middle of the range. There's generally going to be a compensation, excuse me, a commission factor mm-hmm. as well. Your commission factor. While many people look at the commission and that's the number that really wows them, two important things to realize. One, your commission is assuming that you hit 100% of your target and Mm -hmm. you are typically going to have very aggressive targets. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the second thing that a lot of people do or don't realize about technical sales is that in certain scenarios, that commission is actually capped or it can be capped. you know, there is a, uh, uh, a phrase that we call windfall, where mm-hmm. a, a windfall deal may fall upon you. If you're, selling to, if you're selling to a company that 
has something to do with natural disasters and preventing national natural disasters in a hurricane sweeps through the greater Southeast, you could potentially have a windfall opportunity. Doesn't necessarily mean that you sold and closed this enormous opportunity. It means that mm -hmm. that customer had a need to buy a lot of whatever you sold. And so oftentimes certain companies will cap that commission um, and, and thereby somewhat limit your earnings. So salary commission is a big part of it. Uh, and then you'll tend to have annual bonuses. Now, bonuses can be paid out based on whatever metric. It could be based on how the company performed overall. It could be based on a team number. It could be based on some other sort of soft metric in terms of, of how you contribute to the business or you know how you add value. As you start to rise in your career, there are other compensation and perks that come along depending on the industry. Um, you may be given a company car. You may have certain travel and expenses taken care of. You may be eligible for additional stock awards. So there's varying ways that companies compete, if you will, for the best mm -hmm. salespeople out here. I think it's important that whatever industry you're looking to go into, you have a firm grasp of how you can be paid. And then most importantly, how you can maximize that compensation in your time there. Yeah, somehow I, I'm glad you said that about stock comp, because somehow I forgot about equity in that conversation. We love equity here on this show and like technical sales folks are also paid in equity. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up, especially the folks who have uh, known personally or professionally or some sort of both who work for privately held companies, usually the, the uh, sales folks, because there's not as much cash to go around as far as salaries are concerned, uh, they tend to, t to eat up a good portion of the uh, employee stock pool uh, because that's the only way to motivate them. And so if I'm out selling on behalf of a startup, I have no idea if this thing is going to flop or, or not. So I'm taking this this bet that by working at XYZ startup, instead of going and working for a well-established firm like a Microsoft, as an example, uh, you've got to give me some sort of incentive here. And I need a ton of those shares to make sure that uh, if this bet does work out for me, uh, I, I, I make out like uh, gangbusters for doing so. So thank you for reminding me that that also equity plays a, a part. I'll tell it. you, Malcolm, I, I've run into more than a few people who have spun up a technical company and then sold mm -hmm. it to someone else. And, and that's a that's a very real strategy for mm -hmm. maximizing wealth and for making a run at the current technical wave. Well, also, as you pointed out, um, the experience that you gain from working mm -hmm. as a sales rep allows you a different skill set that you have to have as the founder of a, a startup especially a tech startup where all you really have is a 30 page deck that nobody wants to see more than six pages of. Right. <laughs> exactly. So you've got to learn. And this is actually something I can say from my own personal experience working in sales prior to financial services. Like you've got to learn how to communicate, uh, you know, 10 hours worth of information into a 30 second uh, statement. Right. And so when you're out there on the road, pitching and trying to bring in dollars to help fund this idea you have and bring it to fruition round after round after round of funding you're going and chasing. Uh, one thing that helps you get the chops to learn how to do that and also get very comfortable with the word no, because you will hear it again and again and again. And it takes a special kind of skill to learn not to take that personally. Uh, one of the ways that you get to do that as a founder is by working in a sales related role and getting that that experience uh, before you get out there on the road in your 
uh, trying to win friends and influence people to invest in your your big idea that, like I said, is literally just a deck that you've got saved on a flash drive and you hope to God that somebody sees it the same way that you do. Uh, so I appreciate you pointing that out. Um, but I, I do also want to make sure that it doesn't come off like I'm saying, you know, it's all about the money, right? Money is great. It helps motivate us a lot, right? But what are the other perks? You mentioned like the company car, those sorts of things. Um, say a little bit about, you know, the time flexibility that I mentioned in my intro, the autonomy and such that come along with this type of career. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, well, then first let me get the the feel-good answer out of the way, and then I'll go <laughs> into some of the other material perks as well. You know, there are opportunities to really make a difference. Um, I mentioned previously in my career I had experience working with the federal government, working with the Department of Defense, working with Health and Human Services. And I'll tell you that working with certain types of clients, nonprofits, Department of Defense, there's a certain civilian pride that you get out of that. Um, that you are supporting the mission of something that's larger than yourself. And so there are opportunities to work with organizations. There are opportunities to work in industries. I've worked with customers in the media and entertainment industry. I've worked with customers in the construction and transportation industry. Um, you know, my grandfather owned a construction company in DC back in the 50s, the 40s and 50s, right? One of the hmm. first black men to own a construction company in the city. There was an opportunity for me to kind of revisit that industry and have a sense of fulfillment out of knowing that I was contributing in the advancement of this industry that my grandfather had had a part in. So there's there's always opportunities to work with special types of clients or people to establish these relationships and to really make an impact on things. Now that aside, the material <laughs> perks aren't bad either. You know, we you asked about time flexibility. I think that everyone in the world is now used to the concept of kind of working from home, building your own schedule. That's been my life for the last 20 years, with the exception yeah. of maybe four years here, two years there, where I had different roles, where I physically had to be in the location. I had to be there for certain periods of times. I had to interact with people. Um, you know, that could just kind of come into my office or I'd have to go out into their department and see them outside of that. You know, I have always had some sort of a, a home office in whatever home I was in at that time. Um, and so the, the time flexibility has been amazing. There have been opportunities to build other business models um, along the side. There are certain companies that will even promote that because they want you to have a sense of wellness and to mm -hmm. feel fulfillment in what you're doing, as long as you're obviously not directly competing with them in their product or industry field. Um, so the industry, the industry knowledge, the time flexibility has been magnificent. And I would say that's probably the greatest perk out of it all. Autonomy varies depending on industry, depending on company, and quite frankly, depending sure. on who you're actually working for. Um, you know, my particular management style is one that I've gleaned just from a number of leaders that I've had the pleasure of working with over the years. And and I, you know, I hire people that I trust to manage their business. And so I'm not micromanaging them. I'm not involved in their deals. Very seldom am I getting involved in all the nitty gritty details of the deals, because if I have to do that, then what do I need them for? So there is a certain level of autonomy where you're expected to manage your business. And yes, there may be some deliverables, some administrative things that you're required to do. Salespeople hate updating forecast records and things of that nature, but that's ultimately how we read out to Wall Street what to expect. And that's what kind of influences the stock price, the inventory of products, just a number of, 
of things. And so uh, autonomy can vary, but uh, I've been blessed to to have good leaders that have allowed me to um, kind of make my own mistakes, if you will, and to learn from those in course correct. Um, and then again, you mentioned obviously the income potential, but just the opportunity to be on the cutting edge. You mm-hmm. know, uh, Microsoft, for example, is a a community that that really stresses continuous learning. And yeah. so we look for people who are not all knowing, but are all learning. Our CEO quoted Gandhi in one of the very first sessions that I was uh, had the opportunity to sit in on with him. And he made a comment that's really stuck with me. And the comment was to live every day as if it's your last, but to learn every day as if you'll live for a thousand years. And so mm-hmm. I think that the tech industry overall, it it lends itself towards a constant learner. And there is always something new to learn. And you are not necessarily forced into a curriculum, uh, maybe like a traditional school or university where you have to learn this, then that, then this. You know, yeah. you have the opportunity to kind of build your career and to learn what interests you. The technology changes so quickly that the tech that I was selling last year, it's already obsolete. And so if I'm in a field where I'm selling to an industry that I also have a personal interest and passion in, that opportunity to always know what's the latest and greatest thing coming out and to understand the value proposition behind it and to be able to help customers that have the opportunity to adjust or to evolve their business as a result of that technical evolution versus the customers who are kind of fine with what they have, but you also want to make sure that they're aware of what they could potentially do. I would consider that a perk, right? I have learned a tremendous amount in my career. There are opportunities. There are places that I have been either from rewards trips or uh, customer meetings. You know, I, I started my sales career as a temp in a kiosk in a mall in Pentagon City, Virginia. <laughs> and within five years, I was meeting with DOD commanders across the street in the actual Pentagon itself, selling that same technology. So the opportunity to learn and grow, um, I absolutely think that that's a, a magnificent perk. There's such a, a an emphasis right now on bringing people, particularly young people, into technical fields, bringing seasoned professionals that may have industry and other fields into technology to then sell back into that field where they they may have come from. So I just think that that, that continued learning opportunity is absolutely a perk that I want to make sure that I mention as well. Well, really quickly, before we wrap, you just mentioned, you know, sort of the the emphasis on making sure to bring in younger people into the fold. Uh, What should I have asked you, whether about, you know, starting off your career or breaking into a career in technical sales uh, or otherwise, as it pertains to younger people, you know, trying to figure out what direction they're going to head? What should I have asked you about that 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 I neglected to? I think a lot of younger people assume that they need a certain level of technical proficiency in order mm-hmm. to get into some of these roles. And I don't think that's the case. I think that if you can if you can clearly and articulately express a statement, convey an emotion or a value proposition, if you can read people, if you can collaborate with people, those are tremendous qualities that folks are looking for. The technical industry historically has been a close-knit group of folks Mm -hmm. who are all subject matter experts on something. 
and they would get into a room and they would speak in acronyms and technical terms. And it, it became very much a contest to see who was smarter than the other person. And I think what you're seeing it evolve into is more of an open mindset, open growth. How can I take your diverse background and experiences and my diverse background and experiences and how do we fuse that into technology that is now best suited to fit all? And so I think that leveraging their network, polishing on those social skills, how you talk Mm -hmm. to people, how you carry yourself, how you present yourself, I think that goes a long way. I think that the concept of a lot of companies is that we look for smart people, we look for hungry people, we look for ambitious people. And if you bring that to us, we'll teach you the technology along the way. That all sounds great. And I, I like I said, I certainly appreciate you uh, hanging in, hanging in there with us and being so generous with your time. But my last question I'm going to throw at you has absolutely nothing to do with what we just got done uh, discussing. So you can, you know, take a deep breath and relax for a second. I'm, I'm going to throw something different in there. Uh, but let's suppose for a second, let's say that you never found your passion for sales or maybe even the tech world altogether. Who knows? But money wasn't a factor in your decision making at all. I know it's tough to assume that, but let's 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 just presume for a moment. What do you think you'd be doing right now? If money was not an option, mm-hmm. I've thought about this many times. I think it boils down to, to two things. One, there was a, a a role that I remember reading about people who fly around the world and they are I'm trying to think of the title of this word. They uh, they're critics, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. They're critics for five star hotels, Michelin restaurants, mm, travel resorts, things of that nature. I wouldn't mind crossing that one off my bucket list. Hmm. Traveling the world, getting uh, VIP treatment, and and sort of getting the opportunity to test and experience and taste other things. Outside of that, um, anything that gets me courtside at an NBA game, right, where hmm. I can kind of watch some of these athletes compete. When you first said it, my initial thought was the security guards who sit behind the bench. But those guys, particularly now, they've they've got a harder job watching the audience. Then they back do the opportunity the to turn around and watch the game. Yeah. 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 So so something in some sort of a sports arena where I've got the opportunity to kind of sit up close. If it's handing out T-shirts, tickets, <laughs> whatever, I, I wouldn't do the concession stands because you don't get to see the games for that. Uh, but something that gives you the opportunity to kind of be front and center to that. Uh, I, I think I enjoy that as well. You got to go to referee school then. That's how you get the best seat in the house. They run too much. So uh, <laughs> and then you got all those people mad at you at the end yeah. of the game. But, uh, you know, maybe the maybe the the, the uh, people who bring the drinks to you at courtside. Uh, I think of the young lady that uh, LeBron bumped into and gave her a hug. She was on SportsCenter that night. So so maybe something like that. Cameraman. I've got a friend of mine who was a cameraman for the Wizards for a number of years and uh, had a front row seat to some pretty exciting basketball. Unfortunately, it was usually the visiting team. That was doing all Hmm. the exciting things, but he was still right there. (laughs) Well, cool. Thanks, Ryan. This was great, man. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you after this goes live? I'm on LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn, C. Ryan Jones. They can find me. I'd be more than happy to talk to people and and continue guiding people along their path to success. Someone absolutely did it for me. A number of people did it for me. Took time out of their busy day to guide me, to nudge me in a certain direction, to connect me to people. I feel that it is my duty to do the same and to pay that forward. 
Okay. Well, great. And before I turn it over to Eric to close us out, a quick programming note that this is the last official episode of season one. However, stay tuned to the Tech Money podcast channel in your favorite podcast app, because we do have some bonus content that we'll be sharing with you soon. Uh, I won't ruin the surprise and tell you what it is just yet. But suffice it to say, if you're a fan of this podcast and have listened to each of these episodes in season one, you'll definitely find this bonus content from a a different project that I've been involved in to be just as helpful. Uh, So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Eric, to close us out one last time for 2021. All right. Sounds like a good plan to me. I've got two things real quick, Ryan. I don't think I'm going to get the technical name of this person correct, but what about the sweat boy, right? The the guys at the end of the court, when the athletes fall down, they got to go wipe up the sweat. You get to watch the entire game and you'll have to only have to deal with things when an athlete hits the ground. (laughs) That wouldn't be too bad. That's not bad. They probably work maybe five minutes throughout the whole game. That's not bad. I didn't think about that one. Yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm sure they're not called sweat boys, but uh, they are now. (laughs) They are now. (laughs) And then secondly, if that other uh, dream of yours comes to fruition and you need somebody to carry your luggage for you when you travel around and go to restaurants, (laughs) I'm your guy. Okay, that's absolutely. All right. uh, Again, Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show. Malcolm, I'm I'm sad to see season one close, but I know what bonus content you're talking about. And I'm excited that that's going to be hitting the airwaves. And then, of course, you're coming back for season two. So I'm not going to worry about that. Uh, so thank you for everything that you do. And of course, the last thank you always goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you leave a review, please, because this will help others find the show. And you can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have. And you can do so by emailing them to podcast at malcolmetheridge.com. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show made you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on 
on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Gllc.com.